We are in Acts 13, um, and we are looking at the another transition now. They were in Jerusalem, and then they're going into all Samaria and Judea, and now this 13, Paul, Peter fades out, Paul takes the lead, and they're going into the uttermost parts of the world, okay? The Great Commission... We all know the Great Commission, right? Matthew 28, to go into the parts of the world and tell everybody about Jesus Christ and the good news. That's a commandment that we as a church should be doing. But if we really look at it, there are still missionaries that go out. We all probably have churches that, you know, send out a missionary, although that seems to be dwindling also, the way travel and things are happening. Um, But even so, we don't have to go too far. You know, our neighbor is a mission field. Over the years, if we're honest, I think we can look at it. There's even been a book written about this. The Great Commission has become the great omission, hasn't it? We have kind of omitted that part of what the church is supposed to do. And we have more or less, not... I'm not speaking in general terms, but just kind of be open-minded. A place, a church building, people come, and we get them to come to us. We get them to come to us. When you get someone to come to you on your terms, it's, it's not in their own, they're outside their comfort zone, they're outside, you know, whatever. And to get them to come, we do things like we bribe them, we get special music, we make them feel comfortable, and we really think about it. To get, them, to get some, a non-believer to come to a worship hour, they shouldn't be there. Because that is, that is believers worshiping God. And they're going to feel weird. It's going to be odd. They're not going to get it. It's alien. But we, yet we continue to do that. The Great Commission is us going out, meeting them, their neighbor, getting to know them, whatever, fellowshipping with them in a way of just being neighborly and loving and demonstrating Christ to them. But but a worship hour truly, and I'm taking a stand on this, is believers. Because a non-believer who doesn't believe in Jesus Christ as God's son cannot worship the one true God. He can't. So... This chapter 13 is a beautiful instruction, a a picture, a a blueprint of how we are to evangelize, how we are to get out, how the church is supposed to grow, what we're supposed to do. So this marks the beginning of the missionary era. The church is now Christ's witness to the end of the earth. The gospel is now going to expand into the entire Roman world. And we look at verse 1 and see a little bit about what this church is like, what it's made of. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Syria, Manian, a member of the court of Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. Now, certainly there were more people there than this. But these are people that Luke has picked out to show the diversity of this church. Okay? It wasn't all just white men. Okay? There was diversity here. 
Yet it was, it was integrated, it was unified. We have Barnabas and Saul and Mark. They have just returned to this church after giving their gift to Jerusalem, which means this church was a giving church. All the people there had a, a spirit of giving. Barnabas was a Levite Jew, and he was more in touch with a Greek culture. We have Saul listed here, who was self-declared Hebrew of Hebrews. Um, we have Simeon, who was called Nijah, a black African. And some of the commentaries believe that he could have possibly been the man who carried the cross for Christ when it fell. Could be, maybe not. But he was of a different ethnicity, okay? We have Manian, who grew up with Herod. Herod, who beheaded John the Baptist. He grew up in that, in that social economic station in life. So he was a man of um, wealth and standard in the community, and yet he was a part of this church. So the church here has great diversity, and by the listing of these names, that's the point that Luke is making here. But they were unified. As I was studying this, and I had two weeks to, I took my time going through it, and watch the news. <laughs> well, not, not the news that you guys watch. I do my own news. And saw, well, even on the news, how diverse they're trying to make our culture. They are trying to divide and pit people against people. No matter if it's the color of your skin, no matter where you live, no matter if you're vaccinated or not. I mean, it's just diversity like crazy. And who divides? Satan divides. Who unifies God? Christ is a unifying person. And so the church unifies. And so when we go out, there's that that first characteristic of love. And that's the first list of the fruit of the Spirit is love. There's a love there. There's an acceptance there. Um, So in verse 2, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, which is interesting because the church was worshiping and fasting. And when they were worshiping, they were ministering to the Lord. Um, the things that we do, uh, worshiping God and ministering to him, are all he's our audience on all things. Today, when we're in here talking about him, he's the audience here. Colossians, Colossians 3, 23. Whatever you do, whatever you do, that's pretty inclusive. Whatever you do, blow your nose, I don't know, whatever you do, work heartedly as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. We work for God. We work for God. He's the audience, our worship, our praise, our prayer. We listen to God. We honor God. So they were worshiping God. They were also fasting. They were seeking direction for God. Here they are at church. Okay, what do we do, God? What do we do now? We're doing all these things. We're, we're caring for each other. There's a community here. We're, we're giving. We're, we're, we're praying. We're worshiping. But we need to know what we sh- else we should be doing. So this fasting is an intense desire to find out the next direction. They didn't have the completed word of God yet. They weren't just, I hear it all the time. I'm going to do the band. I'm going to fast. 
So if someone doesn't eat food, and yet they're doing the rest of their whole thing, they go to work, they do whatever, they, the only thing they've changed is that they're not going to eat any food. And that is not the same thing as these people in here. Because what do we have? They were praying and fasting. Praying and fasting. You're not eating food because you're so in, in t- tune to God and praying on your knees. You don't have time. You're self-sacrificing because you're focusing on God and what I need to do and reading scripture and finding, desiring a thing. It's not a, well, I'm just going to skip lunch today. Okay? We have such blasphemy in that thing. I had an example of a man in my practice who said, oh, I'd fasted to see if this woman was going to be the one I'm supposed to marry. What did he tell you? Yeah, he did. Why is that? Because he gave me this sign. She drives a red Jeep and kept seeing a red Jeep around. Now, granted, this man's a young believer, but he's getting this information from the church. Oh, why don't you fast about it without any education on how to do it? So anyways, they were fasting and praying. Seeking God and working unto God. Ephesians 2.10, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. He has work for us to do. We need to, we need to do that diligently. So in verse 3, I'm not going to go this th- slow through the whole thing. I'm going to do chunks here, but this part is pretty, need to chip it away. Verse 3. No, I want to do verse 2 still. Verse 2, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, listen to this part. The Holy Spirit said, set apart for me, set apart for the Holy Spirit, Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I, the Holy Spirit, have called them. That's working for God. Set apart for me, set apart for the Holy Spirit, these men to do the work that I have for them. That's working for God, and that applies to all of us. And then after fasting and praying, they had laid their hands on them and set them off. So that was the base. That church fellowship, that, that how they gathered together there in, in, was their baseline. Um, and from there, they sent out. And that's how it should be with us. We get together on Sunday morning and fellowship and worship and encourage one another and exhort one another so what we can do, go out through the week and be witnesses to him. That's how this is supposed to work. It's not we live our life whatever and I go to church on Sunday. No, Sunday is a plug-in, powered up to go out and do what we're supposed to do, to be witnesses, um, to share the word, to, to be his representatives, Okay. So they send them off. They laid hands on them, and he sent them off. It was a, a totally dependent on God to do his work, um, and they were an organ, it was an organized effort to go, and there was a base there. All right, so they're on their way to proclaim the word of God in verses 4 to 8. They're on their way. It seems like smooth sailing, the places that they're going to go. They went to the island of Cyprus where Barnabas grew up. And they headed out to synagogues because in the synagogue is where you could come and they would read um, from the book of the law and the book of the prophets. And then they would open it up for any one man, because that was the culture at the time, to give a, any kind of feedback or, or whatever they think or to kind of talk about what was read or to give some insight. And so Barnabas and Saul end up there at the synagogue. An opportunity to preach. Does he take it? Yeah, he takes it. He steps into that opportunity to preach.
Um, well, not yet. Hang on. I got ahead of myself there. He's, they're in there, and they're proclaiming the gospel all around and stuff like that. I got ahead of myself there, okay? Back up. Roll the tape back. Um, and they run into some people who are wanting to listen to his word and some people who didn't want to listen to his word. They run into a pro-council or a governor or a military man, or you know, because it was Rome, but a governor, a leader, an official in that town. And he was an intelligent man. And in verse 7, it says that he sought to hear the word of God. He wanted to hear more. But right away, whenever somebody wants to hear more, tell me more about your faith. Tell me what happened. Satan's like, ding, 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 ding. Nope, he's mine. You're not going to get this one. And he starts to intervene. There's a spiritual warfare that's constantly going on. So he's working now. Satan is working through this magician guy, this, this character, um, Elemis, um, who started to oppose them. Elemis was his name. It also says that he was the son of Jesus, but Luke didn't want to call him that, so he's going to call him Elemis. And maybe Jesus was well-known. Jesus was spreading. There was something magical about Jesus, so maybe Elemis hitched his little wagon to Jesus. We don't know. But whatever he was, he wasn't a good person. He was false. And he had been hanging out with, with the governor, influencing him, negatively probably, and when he got wind that the governor now wanted to hear what Barnabas and Saul had to say, he started to panic like, oh no, they can't be converted to this. I've, you know, I've, I got to run interference here. Whenever we are in a position where we're talking to someone about Christ, know the enemy is going to rear his head. But you know what? He's a defeated foe. Okay, so it's going to be little things like, no, Molly, you, you can't do that. You're not, you, they, they, they don't want to hear from you. You're stupid. You're whatever, you know, they're never going to, you know, whatever the, whatever the dialogue is that he uses to kind of trip us up. Um, so don't be shocked when that happens because it's all out war against the forces of, the, of hell when we share the gospel. So in verse 9, This opposition is happening. It says in verse 9, But Saul, who was also called Paul, here's our name change, okay? He's been Saul up to this point. Now he's Paul. Saul was more his Jewish name. Paul is more of his Roman name because he's going into the Roman Empire. He's going to reach out to the Gentiles. He's going by Paul. He is empowered by the Holy Spirit, and he's using spiritual discernment And he's pretty much operating in boldness with how he's recognizing this character, Elemis, that's there. And he rebukes this false prophet, and he pronounces the judgment of God on him and calls him. He's not the son of Jesus. Elemis is not the son of... He is the son of the devil, and he calls him out right in front of everybody. It's a harsh rebuke. And we read that and say, oh, my gosh. He's calling them the son of the day. I mean, that's just horrible. But if we look at what's really going on here, it's one thing for somebody to not believe the truth. They, that's, okay, you know, that's their right. It's another thing when they try to persuade somebody else not to believe it. And this is what was going on here. He was trying to run interference so this governor, the pro-council, wouldn't believe. Okay? 
And so he called him out for it. In boldness, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And what happens with this after he calls him out? Has the judgment on him, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. And immediately mist and darkness fell on him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. What a display of the power of God with that. Shutting down darkness and putting them back into darkness and letting the word of God, which is truth and light, be very evident. So the gospel wins here because the proconsul sees this. In verse 12, then the proconsul believed, and when he saw what had occurred, he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Did he become a believer? Probably, most definitely. There's ancient inscriptions that have been found in that area with the name of Sergius Paulus, which confirms his faith in Christ, that his whole family were believers. He saw signs and wonders and was astonished at the word of God. Isn't that what it's all about? You know, we are signs and wonders too. People see us and they watch us interact with our families, interact in the community, whatever, and, they, and there's got to be something that sets us apart. There really does. And they ponder, what is it about you? It's not a miraculous sign. It's not like we have moonbeams coming out of the ends of our fingers, right? Wouldn't that be cool? (laughs) But we're different. We're Jesus freaks, and we're different. We're kind. We smile at people. We're we're polite when we were in line of a store in the person we're buying something from is having a bad day chip on their shoulders well we could just say well it's her problem whatever you know, that's the you know or we could just say hey you know and try to be a positive light signs and wonders all right point here is this we need to go with the word of god but we do it in the power of the holy spirit and we meet people where they're at this is a big thing in 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 psychology when we're meeting people Within a set, we have to figure out what's going on. We have to meet them where we're at. What's going on with you? Where, what are you all about? You know, this is where you live. You know, get to know people. No imposition there. No, no criticism. No telling them they're wrong. Just what's going on in your life? What is happening? We meet people where they're at. There's almost, it's almost like getting a little bit of a, accountability with them, right? Okay. So they're moving onward. Here they are. The pro-council is a believer moving onward with what's going on. I did want to turn the page. Okay. So we have the name change there. And also there's another change now, too, in verse 13. It's not Barnabas and Paul anymore. What is it? It's Paul and his companions. Now Paul takes lead person in this, don't they? And from here on out, it's Paul and his companions. And they set sail again from Paphos and came to Perga in Pomphilium. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. Now we're going to find out John left. But we also know this. John wasn't called by the Spirit, was he? Who was called by the Spirit to go? Barnabas and Saul. And, and John came along as a helper. 
So that's okay. We're not sure what's going to happen. We might figure it out in chapter 15. We don't know yet. Um, but Paul is now the lead person here as we go into the outmost reaches of the Gentiles. In verse 14, we see that they are in um, Perga, and they come to Antioch, into Pisidia, and on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. Now, Pisidia is a portion of Galatia, which is later going to be the area where Paul writes the letter of Galatians to. Okay? This church in Antioch that's being formed right now as we're reading about it is going to be a very powerful, influential church in the beginning time. You even have churches that are called Antioch, right? Because it goes down to the root of this. This church is going to be known for its teaching, for its solidity, for just being evangelistic. It's going to be a power root in this culture here. And they go, here I am, this is where I jumped to before, to the synagogue to sit down and hear the reading and then to be able to say, um, you know, what I'm going to say. It's almost again. Anybody, here's the mic. Anybody want the mic? And Paul says, here I am, I'll take the mic. <laughs> He didn't impose himself on anybody. It was willingly, there was an audience there, and Paul finds an opportune place to be able to preach the word of God. This is Paul's first sermon here. And he begins in verse 16 by addressing the crowd. And notice how he addresses the crowd. So Paul stood up and motioned with his hand, men of Israel, the Jews, and you who fear God. Those are the Gentiles who were believers. Right off the bat, he's unifying. He's coming to both the Jew and the Gentiles. And those are the only two groups of people, okay? Jew or Gentile. Today we have believers or non-believers. Now the Jews, the other Jews, um, didn't probably like this because, well, we'll get into that in a minute. But he's addressing them as a group with the unity This sermon is divided into two parts, and we're not going to go through it every verse. I'm just going to tell you a little outline here. Verses 17 to 22 is Old Testament. It is a reminder of God's saving acts for his people. God did this, and God did that. God called, God moved, God saved, God delivered. It's all kind of a historical account of, and these Jews knew this, of what Jesus, what, what God did through the Old Testament, and it was all things of, of, of saving. It was a deliverance there. So history demonstrates that God has a plan. And then in verse 23, he shifts gears, and we get into the New Testament. Of this man's offspring, which was David, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as he promised. Boom, there it is. All these examples of how God worked in history, and now he is working now through Jesus. And what is Jesus? Because historically, God did things to redeem, to um, deliver, to save, and now Jesus is here. It all points to him the one who he promised. Jesus is the goal of history. Jesus is, we can call him, God's ultimate saving act. Everything led up to him. And Paul 
goes on to talk about how John the Baptist prepared the way with repentance. Um, Paul is, in this sermon, making it clear that God is not a God of the past, nor is he a God to Jews only. But the God of the Old Testament is the God of currently the New Testament. What's happening now? God is still acting. God is still saving as the point of the sermon and how he had it laid out. And then in verse 26, he readdresses the crowd. And again, it's unity. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, the Jews, and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of salvation. What a beautiful sermon. They were probably jaw-dropped, dumbfounded. Whoa. Whoa. Some of them were getting more irritated under the collar. Some of them were probably just in an amazement like, wow, this is really making sense to me. Okay? What Paul is doing here is sending out the message. This is the missionary work to have the message of salvation. Okay. Verses 27 to 29, Paul goes into talk about how some have rejected God's son and killed him. The Jews rejected God's son and killed him. So they're right there saying, whoa, what do you mean our leaders in Jerusalem? They re- what are you talking? Right away, they're going to go there and be on the defense, some of them. Talked about his trial and his crucifixion of Jesus which is the heart of the gospel, then is burial. And then we've got our wonderful phrase, but God, in verse 30. But God raised him from the dead. For many days he appeared to those who had come up with him, which are the, his followers from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus, as it was written in the second Psalms. And then he goes and he brings in Psalms, and they know these, they know these old scriptures. Jesus is that son that's talked about in, in, the, in the Psalms. He is the answered prayer. The, the, he is the answer, the promise that he was gave to David. Jesus fulfilled those promises given to David. And then he was raised from the dead. He saw no corruption. He just laid it out beautifully. Precise, the word of God being read. Um, Eyewitnesses to this. Christianity is not a philosophy. Christianity is not a, um, a set of beliefs of whatever or, you know, your imagination. Christianity is the proclamation of facts that concern what God has done. That's Christianity. History is his story. It is fact. Oh, they're going to change that one. They haven't tried to change that one yet. What are they going to do with that? I'm so tired of it. We just have to laugh at it, don't we? Okay. How can you take history and not make make it neutral gender? It history? I don't know. It's just... It gets to a point of ridiculousness, doesn't it? Fulfilling what God has promised, and he's got some quotes there from the scriptures, okay? Now, Paul is ending his sermon here, 
And he's ending it with a promise and a warning, all right? The promise in verse 38, it's like a, a kind of a, you know, let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that you, to you, and by him, everyone who, let it be known to you, brothers, that through this man, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything. You can just take that in, can't you? Freed from everything. Justification through Jesus. Something that the law couldn't do. Okay? That's the gospel. But beware, therefore, least what I have said, what is said in the prophets should come about. And he goes into Habakkuk and he's saying to them, you know, if he judged Habakkuk, if he judged what happened upon Jerusalem back then, he's going to do it to you too. The God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament are one. And if God judged them, he will judge you if you refuse and reject his offer. The gospel requires a personal response. Not, oh, my mom's a believer, so, you know, she prays for me, so I'll probably get into heaven. No. It's a personal response. What are the people doing with this? How do they respond to this? Verse 42. And they went out. Sunday service is over. They go out. The people begged them that these things might be told to them next Sunday. Please come back next Sunday and tell us. We want to hear more. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. So all week long, where are they staying? Let us sit, pick their brain, little sermons, little conversations, talking to them all week long. I mean, they was on, this town was on fire for this hunger for the for the news of people you hear about that in some countries where a missionary goes and the whole town comes out and they're hungry to hear from it tell us more come and stay at my house so i can just sit there at the table and just hear pick your brain and everything like that all week long this was going on exciting to have been there huh to hear that all that stuff so And the main thing is that we are freely forgiven. It's a free gift. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. What a beautiful truth for these people to hear. Um, No wonder they wanted to just gobble gobble it all up. So we met them where they were at, came into their town, stayed with them, talked to them. They went out, and they shared the gospel. Seven days later, what happened seven days later? Almost the entire town, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. They didn't come to see Paul or Barnabas perform tricks or anything that they came to hear the word of God. As a matter of fact, in this last section here of verse 13, that phrase, word of God, is said four different times. In 44, they came to hear the word of the Lord. 
46, and Paul said to Barnabas, spoke out boldly, saying, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first. Down in verse 48, um, glorifying the word of the Lord. And 49, and through the word of the Lord was preached. It was the word of the Lord. So when we go out and we witness, we have to know scripture. We have to know how to come out and say things. It can be in conversation, um, once we hide it in our heart, the different things about Jesus is the Savior of the world, and he came and he died for us. Um, it's the word of the Lord that they came to hear. They didn't come to be entertained. They didn't come to feel good. They didn't come to be amused. What's the praise band going to do today? They didn't come for that, did they? They came to hear the word of God. And we've got churches today who the word of God is not even read out loud in its, in its sermons, in its gatherings. That's sad. I've been, to play, I've been to churches where it's just, it's just scripture after scripture read, and it's a beautiful thing. It's like, wow. And you know what's the most wonderful thing is when you hear children read the verses. Isn't that just warm your heart? We're going to hear some of that next week to hear children recite scripture. Okay, this church in Antioch, in verse 49, and that word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. This church became a very powerful, great influence there, okay? But like we said before, when the word goes out, what's right behind it? Opposition, right? Got opposition coming right behind it. And this opposition was so strong that it was you know, going to move Paul and Barnabas out and on the way. They got envious. These are the Jews because they were saying, Paul and Barb were saying that you don't have to become Jews to, to believe, to become part of the body of Christ. And they didn't like that. They didn't like that. That was going against all their, their traditions. Um, he attacked their leaders, saying the leaders reject them. You know, So they were envious, um, Jealous, began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him, just talking bad, abusive, degrading language toward Jesus. And you just wonder, they longed for this Messiah, and yet they rejected him, but they weren't willing to bend what they thought that was, he was going to come by, and everyone had to come to, through it through Judaism, and it's not true. Jesus was bringing something new along. Paul preached the gospel of salvation by grace through faith alone. No need to be Jewish. So this cut right through and betrayed all of their re religious heritage, and they were deceived and could not put their heads around this. So Paul and Barnabas had to make an important decision here. This is a game changer here. Okay? In verse 46, Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first. And since you thrust it aside, you judge yourself unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. Amen to that. I'm a Gentile. Amen to that, right? <laughs> okay. For as the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of God, the word of God, and as many as were appointed eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. 
It was growing. It was like wildfire going again. I'm going to point out something here that's worth pointing out. Paul and Barnabas didn't fight them with swords. Their battle that they fought was with words. 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war against the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion that are raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. That's what they were battling. They were battling the, the, Judies, um, the, um, the Jewish heritage and all the things that they had kind of put in there, knocking away those false beliefs that they had, okay? They weren't trying to persuade them of the truth. They were stating the truth. And that's important to know, too. They were stating the truth, Okay? Now, in the middle of this verse 48, there is an interesting doctrine of election that I am going to pause and point out, okay? It says, the Jews heard this and they were joyful, glorifying the word of God, and as many as were appointed eternal life, okay? That is the doctrine of election. Why is the doctrine of election in the middle of a great evangelistic outreach. Because if everyone, if God knows ahead of time who he's elected and who's going to be saved and who's not going to be saved, why should we go out and be missionaries and evangelize? God knows they're going to find God. Well, that's a cop-out answer. It doesn't really explain fully how God operates. The God who appoints the ends, the ends, he knew that Molly Gallagher would become a believer and a follower of him before I was even born. He knew that. He has the end in mind, but he also appointed the means by which I was going to be saved. And the means by which I was saved is in this little church in Maryland, Southern Baptist Church, to the verse of just as I am. Okay? The means that he's appointed is evangelization of other people to be our witnesses. People around me, Sunday school teachers, people pouring the word of God into my life. God works through our witness to bring to faith those he has appointed. And we don't know who he has appointed. We're not supposed to know ahead of time. We are just told to go, right? We're told to go. And if you still have trouble with God, well, that means that some didn't get saved. God, God appointed some for disaster. Well, you know what? We were all destined for disaster. That's not the way to look at this. We look at it is why me, Lord? Why did you call me? Because it does. It talks in Romans. He appointed some vessels for good and some vessels for bad. I'm not going to challenge that. I just know that I am thankful that he has opened my eyes and the eyes of my heart to see the truth. And that there's, those are still many people out there that don't have their eyes opened. And it's not up to me to judge, but just to be a witness to him and just to see what happens. I witness to a lot of people, not a lot of people, but 
a handful of people, and some of them accept and believe what I have to say through the word of God, and some of them just, I never see them again. It's a bunch of hogwash, you know? And some of them you plant seeds for later down the road, right? So you just never know. But I just wanted to point out that the doctrine of election is sitting there right in the middle of that verse in chapter 13, verse 48, in this great chapter of Acts. All right. So the gospel is spreading. It's spreading, it's spreading, it's spreading. It's spreading by the witness of Paul and Barnabas started with them, but all the new believers were spreading it. But the unbelieving Jews, that's the opposition, were coming up to kind of foil their cause. And so they get these worldly people, they get these influential women to oppose them, and the opposition is strong enough that it pushes Paul and Barnabas to kind of leave. So what do they do in verse 51? They shook off the dust off their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. The gesture of dusting off the feet off your the dust off your shoes is basically saying, I'm leaving and I don't want to have anything, I'm not taking anything away with me from this place, not even the dust. Okay? I'm just moving on. And so they move on, but they weren't discouraged. They were filled with joy. Um, and the Holy Spirit guided them to the next town. We are going to get met with people who don't believe what we have to say, but that shouldn't discourage us. We are witnesses for Christ. Our name is written in the book of life, and we carry on. I want to end with this little thing about the light. Back up in 47, I have made you a light for the Gentiles. A light. Isaiah 9, 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light, and those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. Isaiah 56. I'm sorry, Isaiah 46, 6b. I will make you as a light for the nations, as a light for the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Luke 2 is a story of Jesus' birth when they were going to bring him to the temple to be circumcised. Verse 25, Simeon was there, a man righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit, that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. We have the light. We have the light. And the people are not going to know the truth unless it's first spoken. The word of God, the word of God. We hold the word of God. And that's what we really need to do. Pray for opportunities 
to be able to witness. Pray to be aware of, led by the Spirit. We work for him, remember? To be led by the Spirit when we go someplace. Is there anybody here that can, that needs to hear, that needs to have the love of Christ smile upon them? And don't be afraid to speak out.